Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, it says this. Uh, remember, this is continuing in our study verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. We're right near the end. Ephesians 6, verse 10, and it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after it you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So this is just a quick overview of chapters 6, 10 to 18. So the verse 10 says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. Uh, Verse 11 tells us to put on the armour of God so that you can stand because there's a lot of resistances in this life and we need to have something uh, spiritually that's going to protect us from these things that are are thrown at us continually every day. Amen? Verse 12 uh, explains what the true struggle is, what we're really, truly struggling against. Because uh, a lot of us can sort of think that it's a man against man struggle. But this verse tells us what really is happening in the spiritual realm. And I think that's a very important verse to look at. Verse 13 says to put on the armour so that you can stand, which is again what is said in verse 11. Verse 14 tells us that that we should put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Verse 15 tells us that we should have our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel. Feet shod, as in shoes. Verse 16 Uh, tells us that we should take up a shield of faith. Verse 17 tells us that we should put on a helmet of salvation and a sword of the Spirit. And also verse 18 tells us that we should pray in the Spirit and intercede. So that's what we should be doing. The armour of God, like I've I've heard a lot of sermons done on the armour of God. And uh, sometimes it can seem nearly mystical you know like you it's a spiritual thing you know I put I take up my shield of faith I pick up the sword of the Spirit. You know, I have my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. You know, but what does that all really mean? Because I'm sure it's not just this thing that we mystically do. It's, it's got a, a more clear application, and that's what I want to talk about today because it, it, uh, the names of the parts of the armour tell us exactly how we should be as Christians. Amen? Ephesians 6.10, 
and this is the amplified version I'm using because it just takes more from the Greek, gives us a bit of a clearer description. So it's sort of like a, a better commentary on the simpler verses that we get in our normal versions. Ephesians 6.10, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. And remember the NIV and other translations say similar things. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This one, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through union, through your union with him. We have to be empowered through the connection that we have with Jesus. How do we get that connection? There's only one way I know. It's in prayer, isn't it? Time spent with God. So we have to get in time with God, spend time with God, get empowered through that time. Uh, and we've got to draw our strength from him, not from ourselves. We draw our strength to be Christian. And this is what it's really about, to stay Christian in this tough world, is to draw strength from him, from Jesus, and that strength which his boundless might provides. Because if he created all the universe and everything in it with a word, and we have his word and we abide in him and he speaks that and that word is that we speak over ourselves and we claim into ourselves and we know that he is the creator, we can access incredible power. And Ephesians 1, 18 to 21, I'll just quickly go there, talks about this. And this is what Paul prays. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He prays that our, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. You know, a lot of the time, the eyes of our hearts are very dull. And we really don't know the hope to which we've been called. We don't get it, seriously. Most of the time, I can say, I don't get it. I have to pray that God enlightens me. So I get it. Because you can get so consumed with all the worries of life and everything else that goes on in life, that we forget what we're actually here for that we forget the creator that created us and the purposes of which he's placed upon us as Christians. So he prays that we'd be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the riches of our glorious inheritance and his glorious inheritance in us, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power for us who believe. We have access to an incomparably great power. But you know what I think? A lot of the time we don't walk in that power because we don't believe properly. Anyway, We do believe enough to receive salvation, but as far as stepping beyond that, even to just saving a soul, a lot of the time we don't believe. We'll tell people about Jesus, but we won't believe they can really be saved in our heart and start to see them move to the point of salvation. You know, that's, that needs the power of the Spirit of God, you know, to act, be active in our life, for us to see people turning to Jesus. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. This is how, this is the power that is, that he wants us. He prays that we would be enlightened to know this power, to know it through experience. The working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that power which he exerted in Christ to raise him from the dead. That's resurrection power. He wants us to experience that resurrection power and have it and to know it. And that that power which seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. 
Do you know what I mean? So there's a power there. And that's what it's saying here. Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through union with him. If you're not feeling empowered, you're not praying. You're not praying. You know what I mean? It's just simply that. Every biographer I've read of great men of God that have done anything of any type of acclaim that I could say would be riches in the kingdom of God, these men spent hours in the presence. You know? Those men lived the normal Christian life. We're living the unnormal Christian life. Don't think that it's normal not to pray and it's normal not to read the Bible and it's normal not to go to church. Don't think it's normal. That's an unabnormal Christian the true Christians walk in the power. So that should bring conviction upon all of us, me especially. You know, we've got to, we've got to walk in that power. 2 Timothy 2.1, so you, my son, be strong, strengthened inwardly. Be strong. He's getting told, just be strong in the Lord. Strengthen inwardly in the grace, the spiritual blessing that is to be found only in Jesus Christ. Amen. And also, let's turn to Joshua. I love this section of, of Joshua. So Joshua succeeded Moses. Moses brought the Israelites right up to the River Jordan, and that's as far as he got them. Uh, but it was going to be Joshua who was going to enter into the Promised Land. Now, we get a, a lot of insight into living the Christian life in this passage. And you'll see, as, I, as we read it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, All right, so Joshua 1, it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now, just keep in mind, Moses entered into the desert through crossing of the Red Sea, Joshua entered into the promised land through the crossing of the River Jordan, and it was a it was a miracle a miracle parting of the Jordan so that he could cross over. So he he just as he empowered Moses was how he empowered Joshua. You know, with a huge miracle, miracle of incredible proportions. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So as as Jesus promised the disciples, all these powers of the kingdom he will give them to us too he's promised them to all of us not just to them so it wasn't just Moses but it was also Joshua that got the promise so in that typology we can see that we've been promised these things too haven't we so your territory will extend from the desert and from Lebanon to the great river the Euphrates all the Hittite country and to the great sea on the west now no one will be able to stand up against you it says about the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? We are the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the true church of God. And what does it say here? No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Claim that for the church and for ourselves. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Then it says this, be strong and courageous. I love that. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful. Oh, before we go any further with that, what, he's telling them to be strong and courageous. You know why he's saying that? Not because he's going to just hand them a piece of land on a platter and say, here, it's yours. I've wiped the people out. 
No, they had to go in and claim the land. They had to go through trials. They had to go through tribulation and persecution and whatever else. They had to fight battle after battle after battle after battle and probably lose men along the way. It doesn't actually tell us how many men die or not, but there are some accounts where men, certain Israelites, die in the battles. So here you are. Oh, thanks, God. You've given us the promised land, but it's inhabited with people that hate our guts. And giants. And giants. Nephilim are in the land. Big guys make us look like grasshoppers. And I've got to go in there and gain a promise that you promised you'd give me, but I've got to risk my life to get it. It doesn't make sense. If you really think about it, you could imagine the grumbling that would be going on. What? God, why don't you just, you've got the power just to go, and we could just walk in. Here it is. You know why I believe God made that happen? It's like this. If you're a father of a child and you want your child to grow up strong as an adult, responsible, working and supporting himself and all that sort of thing. You know, one of the worst things you can do for your kid is to just give them a house and then give them a really good flashy car and give them plenty of pocket money so they don't have to go and work. You know, give them no responsibility and let them just, you know, just have everything. You know, that's one of the worst things you can do for a kid because the, the, most parents will realise that it's learning how to generate an income, learning how to save, learning how to buy a home. Do you know what I mean? Buy your own good quality car, all those sort of things. That's what makes the person, isn't it? That's where you grow. That's where you develop as a person. If you deprive your child of that, they're not going to be responsible adults. They'll think life is just about getting everything handed to them. And so likewise, here, God knew that for the Israelites. I'm not just going to give you the promised land. It's theirs for you to take it, but you've got to be strong. You've got to be courageous. And then I'm going to empower you and enable you. And you're going to step into that promised land. You're going to slay the biggest guys there. Ten-foot giants are going to come falling to the ground before you just because you've shown faith in me to step in and do it. You didn't cower before the giants. You know what I mean? That's why God did it that way, for the, for the growth of Israel. So they would be established, firm, unmovable for, for centuries to come. And they're back again since 1948. Isn't that amazing? Back in their homeland. So be strong and courageous. This is verse 7. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. So what is he saying? Read the word. Obey the law. Don't sin against me. Don't live lives of sin. It says, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Guys, if you want to be successful wherever you go, don't turn to the right or to the left of the Word of God. Know the Word of God in your heart. Know the truth and do not turn from it. Live by it. Live in it. Walk in it daily. You abandon the Word of God, it's like you're abandoning your life. You're leaving yourself to go to rack and ruin. Your life will come crumbling down. Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. So where should it be? It should be in our mouth. We should be speaking it. Speak the word. Speak the truth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
if you meditate on it and do everything written in it, do everything written in it, like from the moral perspective, you know, and a good deed perspective, do everything written in it. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isn't that amazing? And so he, Joshua, after that, became one of the greatest men, men of God in the, in the whole Bible, in my opinion. He's one of my, my real heroes of the faith. Powerful man. <clears throat> he just he was strong and courageous. From that word, God told him to be strong and courageous. He just he marched up against. It doesn't matter how many enemies came against him. He just faced up to him, and he he did not even show any signs of weakness. You know that's powerful, and that's how we got to approach our Christian life. And you know what? We our, our war is against. Well, we're going to find out powers and principalities, but all of the, the means with which those powers and principalities influence this life through all the corruptness of, of the life, everything that we see in the media, everything that we hear in the music, everything else that's in our, you know, getting pushed on us every single day. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the war we have to, and we've got to be strong and courageous to stay the course. So Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on... God's whole armour, the armour of, of a heavily armed soldier. Put on the whole armour of a heavily armed soldier, which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and all the deceits of the devil. See, that's why we need the armour, to stand against the strategies and the deceits. Satan is a deceiver. He has deceived many. He's deceived me in the past. He's deceived all of us to a degree. Even now, there's things he's deceiving us in. And so we've got to get closer to the word. We've got to walk and, and talk, walk the talk in a sense. We've got to read the word and obey everything written in it as, as God commanded Joshua. And, and all of that will uh, empower us, like putting armor on, so that when the strategies of the devil come in, all those flaming arrows with which he throws at us, we'll be able to shield ourselves against them, won't we? Now, you've got to remember this, that the armour is not some mystical thing that you have to pray over yourself. It's not like, you know, you get up every morning and just pray the armour. But it is an attitude, a mindset, and it's our confession. It's an attitude, our mindset, and our confession. That's what the armour is. Romans thirteen twelve says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light or the armour of good deeds. There's the deeds of darkness and there's the deeds of light. We've got to put on deeds of light. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, 7 says, In truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, in the right hand and in the left, weapons of righteousness, not weapons that go out to kill people and fight people. These are weapons of righteousness, good deeds, goodness. Whole things, you know, uh, things that come straight from God. There's a lot of a uh, lot of talk through the Bible about the armor of God, not just in this part of Ephesians. Okay, so the true struggle, and this is from the Amplified. Ephesians six twelve says, "For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood." So the fight is not against our fellow humans, even though there'll be times when you think it is because they're the ones fighting you. We've got to remember that it's the demons 
that drives their thinking, that has driven their mindset. That's the thing that you're fighting against. And it's, sometimes it's hard to determine that and, and it's hard to react in a way that is right in those situations. And I know, you know, it's, it's a tough one. But we've got to remember from the perspective from which these people are coming at us with. So we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against despotisms. And despotisms are uh, absolute power, like tyrannical power, which is cruel and oppressive. And these demons are cruel and oppressive. People always, you know, claim that there's no God because God allows suffering. No, these demons, these spiritual forces of evil, they're the ones that are the cruel and oppressive ones. God is the opposite. But God has allowed the, the planet to function the way it is because he's a God that allows free will. And so these things are taking place and they're not his will, but he allows free will. So he allows evil to play itself out. Atheists don't like to hear that because they don't believe in evil in the sense of spiritual forces of evil and they don't believe in God. So they just want to prove that God doesn't exist and they use that as an argument, but it's, it's futile. If you believe in God, you have to believe that there's an evil power too. So can, we are contending against physical, not against physical opponents, but against despotisms, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness. The world rulers of this present darkness, these spiritual forces rule this darkness, this time in, in this world. And we've got to remember that. Keep it in mind. And against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly, in the supernatural sphere. That's where these powers are working. They're all around us, above us. And they come upon us. And they're coming upon the whole of humanity to differing degrees. And don't think just because you're Christian that they're not coming upon us as well. They do. They come upon Christians as well in different degrees, in different ways. Can I just add, I just through other commentaries on this, there's, um, in science they've found that there's different dimensions. Yeah. Like, you know, with yeah, the yeah. and stuff, they seem to deteriorize from nothingness and, and, and bleed from nothingness. Yeah. So they're traveling in and there's out different dimensions, but they can only stay a certain time. Yeah, um, so, yeah, but it, there is different, um, what do you call it, like folds or, or dimensional folds. And we only see, uh, I think we're living in a four dimensions, aren't we? But they say there's up to ten. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There's up to ten dimensions. But that's all a bit too heavy for yeah. for me to explain right now. I haven't done enough research. <laughs> that's the equal stuff. Oh, yeah, well, it's, yeah. yeah. All right, 1 John 5.19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Yeah, the whole world is controlled by Satan. It's clearly laid out there. And remember what Satan said to Jesus, and Jesus didn't refute him for it and say, oh, that's not true. He says, all this, all this, like the kingdoms of the earth have been given to me and I can give it to whoever I choose if you just bow down to me, you know. And Jesus, you know, get away from me, Satan. Bad hand to only God. I'm not going to bad hand to you just because you have all this power and authority on the planet. He knew, Jesus knew he had that power. Satan had the power to kill the Son of God on a cross. He was given incredible power, just like he was given power to torment Job to the point of near death. But you know what? Jesus refused to bow down 
to Satan and that power. But you know what? Do you know how many movie stars and how many rock stars and how many politicians and, and uh, lead, world leaders and everything have bowed down to Satan and said, yes, give me that power. I want it. I covet it. I want it. You know? Multitudes, multitudes, millions. And there's men, men and women all over the planet. Do you know that whole, the whole, all this push with um, Australia, oh, uh, 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 Idol, you know, American Idol, Australian Idol, and uh, Australia's Got Talent, and um, what's the other one? Um, the Voice, X Factor. They're all making people covet great, you know, fame and power, authority in, in music. And they're all coveting it. They all desire it. You hear them talk, they all think they're, they're going to be the next biggest thing. You know, isn't that just like them all saying, yes, I will bow down if I have to? Bohemian Grove. Yep. All the, all, all the world leaders get down to Bohemian Grove and they all worship Satan together. Okay, so we've got to put on the armour of God. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, put on God's complete armour that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day, the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place, having done everything that you can to stand. And 1 Peter 4, 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. If you've armed, you've... See, the armour is so that we can get through the tough times in life and the trials and the tribulations. And if we have to go through the great tribulation, which I believe the Bible doesn't say that we go before it, we have to go through it and come out and, and many will die on the way through it. Many Christians will, won't make it through it as in living, but there will be many that will. Because it says clearly that when Jesus returns, there are those on the planet when he returns who are still faithful to him. Now, to get through that time, we have got to walk with this armour on, spiritually speaking, don't we? We have to. We have to be uh, protect ourselves because one of the easiest, like, uh, like every book I've read in, 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 in relation to martyrdom and men of God that have been imprisoned for the faith, is they've always been offered absolute freedom if they would just change their confession. And you know what? When you think about it, it's not much to just say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus, let me go. Is it? It's just a little confession. But that confession is everything. And you know, if you're not prepared, if you haven't got your armour on, you're going to be swayed very easily because you're going to go for the easy way out. But remember, Joshua, to claim that promised land, he had to fight many battles. To claim heaven, we through much tribulation, we enter in to the kingdom of heaven. So you have to have your armour on. You have to be prepared for battle. And the battle is a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood. Just a quick side note, there is no armour for the back. Nothing to defend those who turn their back in Christian warfare. There's no armour on the back. But it's, there's two sides. Of it. One is, is that if you flee from the faith, you're an open target. You know, they'll run after you. You know how when you always hear about armies and they battle and the army that's losing starts to flee? The other army always pursues them, doesn't it, in the Bible? And they chop them down. It's easy to chop them down because they're running away. And the other guy's right behind him with a sword. And all he has to do is catch him and stab him. And he's dead. So you, you do not turn your back on Christ. 
Because the moment you do, you're going to get chopped down. But there's another perspective to that as well, that there's no armour on the back. The Holy Spirit is called a paraclete five times in the New Testament. And this is an interesting uh, point. In the book Healing the Masculine Soul, Gordon Dalby says paraclete was an ancient warrior's term. Greek soldiers went into battle in pairs. And so when the enemy attacked, they could draw together back to back, covering each other's blind side. One's battle partner was called the paraclete, was the paraclete. So you would fight, especially in the thick of battle when the army's sort of dispersing because of the nature of the battle, they would disperse in twos. So there'd be one standing back to back to the other. Makes them much more powerful uh, in battle. It's a good point. Now, the Holy Spirit is that to us to get through this life. The Holy Spirit covers our blind side. He's our paraclete. He protects us through these things. So we've got to remember that. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins and having put on the breastplate of integrity or breastplate of righteousness and of moral rectitude. And rectitude is morally correct behaviour. Morally correct behaviour. We could all do with more of that. And right standing with God. Just a point about loins, the word loins and why it's used. Um, they are, it's basically the region of the sexual organs, right? Now, you've got to think, why is the belt of truth covering that area, right? Truth protects you from, you know, sexual deviancy and going in those ways. It's truth that will keep you faithful to a wife. It's truth that will keep you from entering into, you know, all sorts of sexually immoral practices. You'll just go, uh-uh, no, I know, can't do that, can't go there because I know the truth about that. The, God's word tells us that sexually immoral people will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's truth. That protects you from entering into those areas. That's why the belt of truth is around that area. And you know what? The world has a real problem in those areas. They're actually teaching the total opposite these days. I, I flicked onto this show um, on, on SBS the other night and one of the things it, it, it said was the, there was these guys and they're talking about homosexuality and, and all that sort of stuff. And one thing the show is really pushing is that everyone's gay. Everyone is gay, at least a little bit, right? Now you imagine, because the whole show was just pushing that and then these three there was two girls and a guy and they went out and they were supposedly heterosexual. They went out with gay people and hung around with them for a while, came back and reported back and nearly all of them, or nearly all three said, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'd go for it, I'd do it, yeah. Thought it was cool. Right, so the whole show pushed that these heterosexual uh, kids really are gay. They just don't know it yet. And they go out and experience homosexual company and then they come back and say, yeah, I'd, I'd do it. Sounds good. Because there's no truth around them. They have no truth. It's just what feels good. It seemed normal to them and they all seem to enjoy it. I'll do it. Sounds like a bit of fun. Something thrilling. Something more exciting than what I'm doing currently. You know what I mean? But the push of the whole show is that we all are. So by the end of the show, how many people would have finished watching that show and gone, maybe they're right. Maybe I am gay. And I don't know it. Did you 
So now it's no longer, you know, gays are just born that way and they can't help it. It's, we all are. You know, that, and then they, they even showed that there were some different animals in the animal kingdom and whales and stuff that they're, they're gay. You know, and I'm thinking, hang on, I've not heard that before. I better check the biology of that. Is that actually true? Or are they just stating it knowing that 95% of people who watch that show will never double-check those facts because they just like what they're hearing, itching ears, you know? And that's when you live a life and evolution is all that you live by. Anything goes anyway. It doesn't really matter. But if you live with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, protecting you from those lies, you can live a proper, holy life in God all the way. Amen? All right, so anyway, Isaiah 11.5 says, Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness. So righteousness or truth and righteousness, again, is good acts, isn't it? Doing the right thing. So if you, you live by the truth, you will do the right thing. And faithfulness is a sash around your waist. It's amazing. Isaiah, I believe Paul read Isaiah and got the whole armour of God principles from Isaiah because Isaiah talks more about the armour of God than any other guy apart from Paul, any other uh, prophet in the Old Testament and anyone else in the New Testament as well apart from Paul. So the breastplate of righteousness is to protect your heart. It's a breastplate. It protects your heart. Breastplate of righteousness is to protect your heart and this protects our moral standing with God. So when your chest is covered, as in your heart, because that's really what is covering in your chest, isn't it, your heart, um, is, and if you live by righteous deeds, righteous doing the right thing, you will be protected, again, from evil through doing that. Because doing good counteracts doing evil, doesn't it? If you're, not, if you're doing good, you're not doing evil. <laughs> so just do good and you won't do evil. More. <laughs> More or less. Ephesians 6.15 And having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability. See, if you walk by the gospel and if your feet are shod with the gospel of peace, you will walk with firm-footed stability. You won't get shaken in life. The promptness and the readiness, promptness being ready and prompt, you know, quick to react, produces the good news of the gospel of peace. So in the sense of, of reaching people with the gospel. So you, you go out, you put your gospel piece on and shoes of the gospel on and you go out and you reach people with the gospel. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news and who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reign. Having that attitude is beautiful to men and women who, who receive that salvation. It's also beautiful before God because it says how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. So the two points in relation to that is that we are to carry the gospel to the nations. We're to go out and carry the gospel, make disciples of the nations, as the Great Commission says. And number two is that the gospel gives us a firm footing in this life so that we don't stumble. We don't stumble in this life. Amen. So the shield of faith, this is an interesting one because Bill, what Bill said earlier, lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith as a covering upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. Faith will help you to stand strong in the face of great opposition. Faith will help you to stand when everyone else flees from God and says, no, I'm no, 
I don't want to be a Christian anymore. It's just too hard. Your faith will be the thing that will keep you strong and keep you from um, giving in to evil because you'll rebound all those uh, temptations away. And what does the Bible say? Resist the devil and he will flee. You, you resist him. It's like you say no to him and you continually say no and eventually he will stop using that approach. He'll try another approach, but he will stop that approach. Uh, the shield, uh, the Therios, was a large oblong shield, a scooter, <laughs> like a door. It was like a door. And that's why when you said a doorbell, made of wooden covered with hides. So like a door, we should not let the enemy in. So that's what the shield is. It's if you keep it up, and you keep the enemy from coming in. But if you, if you drop it, it's like you've opened the door to the enemy. So you resist them by closing the door by faith, shield of faith, in the truth of the gospel. Amen. All right, let's go through the helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword that the Spirit wields, which is the word of God. So the helmet of our salvation is for our minds to give us peace of mind in the sureness of our salvation. That's why you put it over your head, because people can come along and twist your thinking and make you doubt your salvation, make you doubt Christianity, make you doubt in Jesus. And it all starts here, doesn't it, in our thinking. little seed of doubt, it'll start to grow. And people slowly drift away. They stop going to church. They stop you know, reading the Bible, they stop praying and it's like they've taken the helmet of salvation off and they put it to the side, you know. But we've got to keep the helmet of salvation on so we keep our salvation so our minds don't get affected. Isaiah 49.2 says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. This is interesting, this one. In the shadow of his hand he hid me, he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. So Isaiah testifies to that his mouth was like a sharpened sword. Who else has a, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth? Jesus. Jesus. Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a double-edged sword. A lot of the, even the, the armour pictures I have here show a sword in the hand, doesn't it? Mm. But what does Isaiah and Jesus? It's in the mouth. Not that we go and slay people with our words, but we speak truth. We speak truth, and it cuts both ways. Dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Do you know what I mean? The truth, and that can hurt, but to the humble, they'll receive it. You know, blessed are the humble. So we yield the sword of the spirit with our mouths when we declare the gospel. Not with our hands, so we don't punch people or pick up a sword and actually hit them with it. We yield it with our mouth. Ephesians 6.18 says this, Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. Now, I just added here, this piece of armour is the (laughs) walkie-talkie. You know, especially used during during the days of uh, you know World War Two One and Two. You know that was the new level of warfare because we had that technology. Prior to that, it was tell a guy 
you know, a messenger and the messenger would take, run, get on a horse and ride to tell, ask the general or commander or whatever, what should we do now and all that sort of thing. It's staying in contact, isn't it? It's an important piece of, piece of the armour, of the total package. So it's our connection to our commander and general, Jesus Christ. If we don't pray for ourselves and pray for each other, then we're sitting targets a lot of the time because we don't know the next move. It's like an army that doesn't know what to do next, so they just do anything. And, you know, you've got half of them going that way, half going that way, a few going this way, a couple of them just sit down on the ground. You know, no, you need, you need to know what does God want you to do now. Isaiah talks about a piece of armour that wasn't mentioned in Ephesians. Isaiah 59, 15 to 17, Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. Isn't that funny? I like how Isaiah speaks. He's very New Testament. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. What's he talking about? Jesus Christ. Right? His own arm had to do it. Jesus Christ had to come because there was no one. There was no one righteous, not even one. So he had his own arm had to achieve salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He was holy, 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 not a single sin. Imagine living a whole life and never sinning. I've always said that, you know, how hard would it have been to have been Jesus' parents? Because if you're yelling at Jesus, you're the one in the wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect child, you can't even tell him off. So whenever you find you're at loggerheads with your son... It's because you're in the rock. Joseph must have been beside himself. <laughs> he put on righteousness as his breastplate. How's that? This is talking about Jesus, and we've got to be like Jesus, don't we? He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head because he brought salvation. Uh, he put on the garments of vengeance. This is talking about his second coming. Now, I didn't say garments of vengeance is our armour, We're not going to put on garments of vengeance. That's Jesus. He says, revenge is mine. Isn't he? Revenge is mine. So we don't become vengeful like that Christian, so-called Christian family. They're not Christian. Those, the most hated family in America. They're out there. They've just put on garments of vengeance. That's pretty well all they've got on. And they're terrible. They're just making a mockery of the name of Jesus. And so many people turn away from Jesus Christ because of their example. But we're not to put on that garment. Jesus is going to put on that garment when he returns. And it says he wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And what's zeal? Extreme passion. See, if you feel like a bit ho-hum, you know, about your Christianity, like, "Mm, take it or leave it, you know. You know, read the Bible every now and then. You know, if you're not zealous, man, there's a, that's a part of the armor that you've got to put on. You've got to put on the cloak. And look at that guy; he's got that nice cloak on. You know, feel like Superman. You always, as a kid, I always felt more powerful when I put on a cloak. That that zeal is what we need, and we, you wrap yourself in it. You get up. You know, this morning I woke up. I didn't feel much like preaching, but I just, I, I in prayer, I just said, Lord, just make me passionate now (laughs) and it was like a decision you know you have to get up and decide that you're gonna be passionate or else you just get up and you let 
whatever mood you want rule you. You know, but if we get up and we say we're going to be zealous, we're going to do good things, we're going to be happy, joyful, live a whole life in Christ, I'm going to be passionate, I'm going to have energy, I'm going to respond to people, I'm going to give of myself today. Isn't that the only way to live? Think about it. Isn't that the only way to live? If you get up and you just say, oh, I don't feel very good today and I don't care. And people are going to feel that when they get in the room with you. It's going to be this real mundane, you know, day for you. But what you have to do is decide. It's a decision. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to be zealous. I'm going to get into this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to really live this life. Amen. So we've got to put on the zeal as in a cloak. So in conclusion, the belt of truth helps us to overcome all evil doesn't it? The belt of truth, especially from a sexually immoral standpoint. You know, if you know the truth, you won't go there. Breastplate of righteousness is our moral deeds. Uh, Doing good things, it protects our heart. You know, there's a lot more in this. Don't get me wrong. I've I've only scratched the surface. You can, I could preach this for the next three, four weeks. Yeah, shoes of the gospel, carry the gospel. Take it to people. Share it with people. Make sure your loved ones know about Jesus. And it's also the sure-footedness of the gospel. If you're standing on, in Christ in the gospel, then you're going to be unmovable because you're on the rock. Amen? Uh, shield of faith is faith in him. Uh, it's our defense against all evil attacks, the shield of faith. <clears throat> our helmet of salvation gives us a strong mind, makes us confident in our salvation. The sword of the Spirit is our gospel confession. That's what comes out of our mouth, that double-edged sword truth Uh, and prayer and intercession is our connection with our lord it's like that walkie-talkie that i we were talking about anyway i didn't add there the cloak of zeal but the cloak of zeal is that passion and i think that's what we really need you put on all that armor and then the last thing you put on is that cloak of zeal Mm. okay now i've got all these other things on let's be passionate Mm. too many christians are just really you know the furthest thing from passion but one of the things like i know joe shimmel went to africa and he did some missionary work over there he said compared to christians in america he said he couldn't believe he you could literally see the difference between the believers of christ and those that didn't because the believers in christ had so much passion they were so zealous their eyes were lit up they were excited about being christian and the unbelievers and the muslims and all that were all just walking around all you know complete opposite total opposite so true christianity is noticeable people see it it shines out of you so make sure you wrap yourself in the cloak of zeal be passionate about jesus christ amen all right let's pray thank you lord for this uh for this message and i just pray that you your spirit will um just take all these words deep into all of our hearts and help us to be changed and transformed by them so that lord we can be be all the better for it that we'd be Um, better Christians just living more full whole lives putting on the full armor of God uh, and of course that cloak of zeal that just gives us the passion to live it out and uh, I just pray that each and every one of us can have a um, have a real true life transformation uh, as we adapt or apply these principles into our life 
because um, it's too easy to walk away from this and forget all about it. But Lord, just help it to be a, a sermon that stays in our heart, that we walk away from and say, yep, okay, I've got to really consider these things and walk in them. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you'll bless each and every one of us this week. Uh, bless all those on uh, the internet that watch. Um, and I just pray that you will pour out your spirit upon them and, uh, and lead them by your righteous right hand and uh, help them help them to apply this sermon into their lives. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.